Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You are listening to the longest running weekly episodic Filipino wrestling podcast. This is the Smart Kilas Filipinas podcast. Stunning Stancy at your service to my left. Something different this time. Ravishing Romoran. No Rowdy Raf Camus this week as we get to episode number 85. And as you're hearing this, we may or may not have a guest. Yeah, um, we, we've been waiting for like a couple of hours now. And as, as much as we'd like to be optimistic now, our guest is pushing through today. Um, we are recording this uh, way before we are done waiting for him. Right. So we have no idea if he's going to be here. If he is, great. If he isn't, then you, uh, we'll probably find a way to get him on a future episode. Let's just say that all of the preparations got a little too manic. Ah, uh, yeah. Very, very crazy. Yeah. One could even say that the preparations would drive someone suicidal. Yeah. Man. I, I, I just hate it, you know. But the show must go on. Uh, you, you know what they say. I mean, the show always has to go on. And I, um, I just have to bring this up because hey, uh, we're recording at Mellow as always. And uh, the mood here is actually pretty down mm-hmm. after the uh, recent passing of Mr. Ching, who is the longtime uh, spinner of the Wake Up Show. And I guess this is my way of paying tribute to him because we never got to on the air. Uh, for some reason, everybody has just had a hard time expressing it. So they don't a tribute on the air. But the wake-up show is... I mean, like, the fans of the wake-up show, no. No, not everybody knows. That's the thing. They haven't mentioned it on the wake-up show. No, they haven't. They haven't. So no one's wondering why he's not around? There are some people who kind of know because I posted on Instagram. Okay. Right? Uh, but, you know, um, for the most part, people are still asking why. Because he, uh, he just stopped going to work because he got sick. Right. Uh, so I guess if you're listening and if you're a listener of Mellow, here's pretty much the Spark Notes version. Um, he got sick sometime in August. Um, he found out he had late stage brain, ca- brain cancer. Um, the tumors were taken out, but some of them had to stay because they matangal. It was really critical. Um, and then uh, the projection was that he would have about half a year to live if he wasn't operated on. And then things just. Parang, um, his, the way his family described it was na one time big time siya. Wow. Na lang until he uh, he passed on last Monday. Um, I, I hope personally I'm kind of affected by it, even though we were never partners, because he was actually one of the first people to lobby for me to get hired right here. So in terms of how I got into the business, he was very instrumental in it. Yo, if, so if it wasn't for what you're saying is if it wasn't for Mr. Ching, the Smarky the Filipinas podcast would not be as it is today. May or may not be, yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, like, no, we wouldn't be happy. We wouldn't be able to make use of the Mellow ninety four seven recording booth. Yeah, I guess uh, you could say the, that the podcast would not sound as good as it is now, as fresh as it does. Yeah. yeah. So, so we owe a lot to Mr. Ching. I owe a lot to Mr. Ching. And man. we, uh, the rest of us, give our condolences to the Mellow family and, of course, his family and yeah. friends. Um. You know, in the NBA, like, uh, Flip Saunders passed away this week. Oh, yeah. Right? Same day as Mr. Ching. Um, 
the, the Timberwolves will be wearing patches on their jerseys with flip on it mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of the season to pay tribute to, to Coach Saunders. I kind of wish there was something I could do. Na ano na parang ganun. So like all throughout the week, I've been wearing black. Mm-hmm. Ngayon lang hindi kasi I'm I'm dressing up as a cowboy. Well, you're for wearing you're wearing a black shirt underneath. But yeah, I, uh, sinaja ko yun. So like all throughout the week, I've been wearing black. I just wish there was some way. Alam mo, I could I I could kind of wear like a, a patch or some shit. Uh, it's just hard because, like, the, the station, believe it or not, a lot of it has Mr. Ching's imprints all over it from the cards that you see over there, uh, like, you know, the, the songs that we play. The structure over there, all that woodwork, gawa niya yun. What do you mean gawa niya Like, he, yun. Yeah, yeah. He That's was nice. actually very hands on with that, that, that black wooden box thing. What black wooden box? Yung, yung oh. console, oh. where the console used to be cased. Damn. Yung shelf jan inside. Uh, it, it's hard to explain it if you, if you haven't been to the station, obviously. But just for the sake of telling the story, the, the, that shelf inside where all the cards are for the songs, gawadin yun, kinarpintero So you know, um, it, it's it's a difficult time here at the station. And like uh, the, the office lady just came back from uh, his internment, so you know. Uh, but like I said earlier, uh, life goes on, and I guess it's kind of fitting then that we're talking about uh, we're talking about this because. Uh, we are about to celebrate Undas. Yeah, yeah. Which is very meaningful to Filipinos. Kasi, but we, this is the time when we commemorate our de- dearly departed. Nag- ano ba? Do you go to the cemeteries? Yeah, I do. But uh, it's becoming more and more of an annoying chore lately because of all the people who are in the cemetery. Like, it's fun when you actually get to have fun. Yeah. Kasi, you know, nobody's ever mournful and, and sad when they go to the cemetery for Undas. But uh, there is just too many people, man. I know what you mean. Um, like, especially in recent years, na umingay ng umingay. Yeah, so, you know, people are making it a party, which is nice, because uh, in a way, you know, the, Mexico does this. Yeah. For the Day of the Dead, uh, Dia de los Muertes. And uh, I guess, I don't know, is it just because ours isn't you know, as culturally refined, I would say, as... Mexico's? I don't know, dude. <laughs> I I, I kind of want to... Be- I, I think deep inside I believe that, but I just don't want to say it. Well, uh, yo, yo, I mean, uh, at the cemetery where my maternal grandparents are buried, uh, it's 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 a relatively new cemetery. It's kind of high class. Yeah. Major high class. Heritage, but No, wait, is it heritage? No, 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 no. No, uh, I forgot the name right nah, now. No, fine. Uh, it's in Laguna. Uh-huh. But every every Undas uh, holidays um, never fail. They never fail to throw a concert. Like Shit. It, it's a three. Day, it's a two day affair. I think. Like me kumakanta talaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a talent show. <laughs> there's a there's a dance off. There's a concert. I remember this one year. Hale even played. Wow. <laughs> like Jesus. That's weird. I'm gonna say, um, I don't, I, why, why would why are we celebrating this? But okay, okay, lang kung Halloween. Because eh. they, they started Halloween night, right? Which is weird because even though you're celebrating on Halloween night, to do so in a cemetery is just all sorts of awkward and all sorts of creepy. Then, yeah, I, I, you know, if everybody's wearing like their ghoulish costumes and shit, mm-hmm. so. Man, you know what? Uh, yesterday uh, we were playing the '90s hits, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the songs I played was "Hinahanap Hanap Kita," uh, River Maya. Uh, and then the, the last line, diba, is "Hahanap Hanapin Ka." Sabi ko on ko ng mic. You know how it is when your parents bring you to the cemetery, tas pag humindi ka, sasabi nila, "Hahanap Hanapin Ka." <laughs> <laughs> and Tracy was 
right there. And she's like, holy shit. Why? Huh? Why? Oh, no, uh, we were just teasing her about some pamahiins off yeah, the air. Yeah. And then she she just went, oh, no. <laughs> she went nuts on the air. Wait, wait. Have you seen that that YouTube ad? Than St. Peter's. Yes. Jesus Christ. That that is the most (laughs) fucked up commercial that I've ever seen. And I've seen some fucked up commercials. It it was irreverent as fuck. It was very irreverent. Jesus. If if y'all haven't seen it, y'all haven't seen it. It's only what? Five seconds, I think? Ten seconds? Yeah. (laughs) Go look it up on YouTube. St. Peter's uh, Memorial Life Plan Chapel. Memorial Chapel? Yeah. Memorial Chapel. St. Peter's Chapel. St. Peter's Chapel's. Uh, TVC or, yeah. Did it TVC? I don't see it on YouTube. I don't think any network would play that shit. Believe it or not, it's played on TV. Um One of the local channels, for sure. Because uh, Chris told me. Because I don't see it on AVS. Chris has told me. so you know, It's fucked up. It's, it's, it's a quick spot. How would you play it on, on local TV? Anyway, it is so fucked up. Yeah. Like... I think even they were aware that it was fucked up because the punchline was so quick. Yeah. The punchline the punch shot is so quick of the... Well, you have to see it for yourself. The punchline is... <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. It's so fucked up. You, you, you got to see it. Yeah. Uh, this is just sad. This is just sad. I mean... But, uh, I, li- I, li- I like witty commercials. I like witty ads. But... Uh, that is just a whole a whole new level of weird. I try not to mess with the deceased. You know what I mean? Like I get irreverent, and you know this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I no. make very fucked up jokes. I don't. I don't know if it's me not liking to mess with the deceased, but it's kind of off-putting. It. It's not. I don't. I don't necessarily have a problem with messing with the deceased. It's if it's especially someone who we don't like. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like Hitler, you know, yeah. or yeah, <laughs> you always yeah, mess yeah. with Hitler. Yeah. But. I, there's, there's just something off about it. You say it's not. It's it's treating something so nonchalantly. Yeah, actually, I I, I like to joke around now because of all the irreverent jokes I've cracked over the years. My condo ng nakalaan sa akin sa baba. Oh, I think I think we all are. We've all signed up, or we've all signed the lease for an entire complex. Feeling ko yung gumawa ng Saint Peter's commercial na to. Magiging kapit bahay natin to eh. sa compound. <laughs> Anyway, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun show just because we had such a great week in wrestling. And uh, wherever you are, I hope that you're celebrating Undas with your loved ones. And, and well, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, uh, we have had our interview. Yes, hopefully. hopefully. If we haven't, if we had it, uh, if we haven't, you blame it on the schedules. Uh, you know, things just didn't align, I guess. And uh, when we do, though, it's gonna be a great, great fun time. It's gonna be something that will hopefully not drive us suicidal. Ah, yeah. Oh, right. Wow. Uh, yeah, so let's get to it. Um, you're going to be expecting some, some breaking kayfabe news courtesy of Rowdy Raf Camus. You've also got our weekly picks of the week and our usual shout outs at the end of the podcast. We're coming off the heels of what can actually be considered a great week in wrestling. And we don't get to say that a whole lot, especially the part where we say that we had a pretty damn good raw this week. Well, it's, it's not that we don't say it a whole lot. It actually happens a lot. It happens more often than you think it does. But on the on the flip side, it's just that a lot of the decisions that come out of the WWE are so boneheaded. Nah, you keep you, you tend to forget the good stuff that happens in between. Yeah, that's a very good point. Because um, a lot of it has to do with the creative direction, and and um, I I I don't want to say that they take it for granted. 
Pero, do. Well, they do. In a way, they do. Yeah, but this week, you could actually see that there was there was some thought put into how, how this week's Raw was written. And that's something I can clearly appreciate. Mm. Like, from, from, from the get-go pa lang, they set up a tournament where the only people qualified were those who won their matches at Hell in a Cell. And that, for me, is a good step forward. Because it shows that wins and losses finally meant something, at least this week. Yeah, because now you can say, I say usually in a, the consequences of your actions are just... <laughs> The consequences of your actions are just a chain reaction. Wait, no, what was the, what was the line? What was the line? Poster go. Uh, I'm messing up my references. <laughs> I was listening to that it the consequences morning. consequences of, of your, your actions, actions really, really are just, just a game. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and usually, ganun. right. But not this week. This week, they actually uh, saw to it that if you won your match at Hell in a Cell, you got an opportunity. Now, you can probably deck some po- or dock some points against them for not announcing it beforehand. But it's forgivable because no, it, no, it's, it's served the purpose of the week's episode. Yeah, you, you, why, why would you announce it beforehand? The, the, the most you can do, because you're resetting, you're hitting the reset button. Yeah. The most you can do is announce it at the top of the show, which they did. Yeah, okay. So so they did that. So um, everybody who won a match was basically in that tournament, save for Brock Lesnar. Which, um, if you're going to be really, really OC about it, uh, you want to question it. Because Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, they both competed in Hell in a Cell. So why should Roman Reigns get into the tournament and why does Brock Lesnar get exempted? Hey, Brock, we wanted to... Get you in this tournament for all the winners last night. I mean, maybe maybe he was too tired to say yes. See, the thing is like you know we're the ones having to you know connect no, the dots ourselves all over again. No, I mean, okay, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Because we all know that Brock is a part timer. Yeah. And it was pretty plain to everyone that after he did, after he blew off the whole Undertaker feud, we we all knew even even though we didn't need to, you know, check a rumor or dirt sheet. Nah, he was going to take time off until he's needed again at around WrestleMania time. So why are you making such a big deal of this now? Yes, okay, I get it that you're looking for some sort of narrative closure or some some sort of narrative justification as to why he's gone. But I think you're really just, you know, I don't know, questioning it, questioning it for the sake of questioning it. Fine, fine. I mean, I mean it's something I could get over him easily, but... Um... <laughs> the fact that you brought it up. I mean, like, okay, like, I am getting over it, period. I'm done. Right. Four matches in the tournament, all of them were actually good. All of them were, were um, decent to great, uh, particularly Cesaro versus Kevin Owens. You know, I enjoy it. No, I think they were, I think they were all. I, think, I, I don't think you can say in a one of, or I don't think you can say in a one match was better than all the other matches. I think, and I think, and you say that in a good way. Because I think everyone brought it. But even though they knew they were going to lose, they brought it. Yeah, particularly Neville. Because when you take a look at Alberto Del Rio versus Neville, you know, it's like the lopsided match. Right? <clears throat> now you could tell that Neville was just there really to make Alberto look good. And yet in the process, Neville still looked great while taking the loss to no, ADR. I think, I, I think the thing is, uh, since they, everyone knows that Cena's gone for a while, Orton is gone for a while, uh, Lesnar is gone for a while, Taker's still here, only for Survivor Series. I think everyone knew that, okay, we have to wrestle our asses off if we want to ascend, if we want grumpy old Vince to take notice of us and ascend to a higher place. But, okay, that's them basically kind of wrestling a contract year, especially Cesaro, who has been wrestling a contract, like it's a contract year for the past few months. I think he deserves to be called Mr. Pure Energy, like all throughout. <laughs> like, we should, we, we should make this a thing. Oh, God. I mean, like, uh, his conditioning, his cardio, is the dream. 
especially when he goes wrestlers. Especially when he goes cross ring, di ba? Yung, oh. yung that, that uppercut express. No, that, that shit is, not that shit is, that shit is lucha spots. Yeah, especially with the uh, pace and the energy, mm. di ba? It, it's it's not necessarily WWE style. Eh. Mm. Um, you want to go into Alberto Del Rio again? Let, let, like, oh, let's yeah, let's get this off here. our yeah, sure. uh, let's get this off our chests. Uh, I have a problem with Mex America. I think we all do, I guess. <laughs> it, it's a very huge problem. I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Um, even if you say that Zeb and Alberto may have, uh, may have found some way to like reconcile their differences and shit, the way I see their relationship is more of Zeb is Zoom from The Flash and ADR is one of the minor villains that Pinapadala from Earth 2. I get the reference, but can you explain that? So, um, in The Flash, in Season 2, these minor villains from the other Earth, from Earth 2, are being brought into Earth 1, our Earth, because Sizum, the main villain, has something hanging over their heads. Like, he is, he's basically coercing them to do his bidding in, in exchange. So, in this case, the way, it looks, uh, the way it looks to me, or to us, is that Zeb has something over Alberto the same way JBL had something over Shawn Michaels in 2008. Well, yeah. Well, that one was better to say that it was more explicit in what JBL was hanging over Sean's head. But what I don't like, what what my real problem about uh, the whole uh, Mex America storyline is, even though I like the fact that ADR is back in the WWE, uh, even though I don't think he's a sellout for having done so, and uh, well, Tito Mikey's gonna be annoyed at me with me for this one, but. I just don't understand why they decided to turn him heel after he's after they saw that he was uh or he had amassed such an such a nice following such a nice buzz around him surrounding him uh while he was gone. I think and, it's and momentum And if you and this is especially ironic cuz if you were looking for a top latino star for latinos to actually get behind why would you turn him heel? And especially uh Align him with the guy who has been known to hate the demographic on screen. On screen, yeah, on screen. I mean, I I think it's actually a great question to ask, Deba. We um in the year and like three months since Alberto left WWE, he became like huge international star. Dare I say he was the biggest international star who wasn't under contract with WWE? Yeah, he's one of the biggest inter. If you if you bar Japan, yeah, in in North America, he was one of the biggest international. we, he was the biggest. I mean, can we really say international? What's about it? Mexico yeah, I mean, is yeah, another he, country. Right. I mean, he wasn't, but he was. He was not solely working in Mexico. Yeah, he wasn't. Uh, but um, it goes without saying. Parin he was the real deal, and it um, it bothers me as well. Nah, they just couldn't make it happen. Nah, he would come back as a triumphant face. I don't get why. I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is a backstage de- uh, decision. Obviously, yeah. Nah, you know, nah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what went into the thought process. If it was really just some petty, some petty way at getting back at El Patron for leaving or, or something. This I don't want to assume. No, this is this is my crazy theory. Whenever I see uh, the boss El Patron uh, on screen with Zeb Coulter, I can see, I can sense some sort of discomfort with the whole thing, and I can sense that okay, this shit isn't what I signed up for. When I came back, so you're saying that this is legit? Yung kanyang parang the hesitation to like fist bump uh, Zeb, just that. The, the handshake. Not just that. It it also kind of implies that someone around or someone backstage, someone higher up, is pulling his leg and taking him for a ride. Now, okay, you decide to leave us and trash whoever was 
you know, who, whoever done did you wrong in the WWE. Now here's what you do. You are now gonna be partnered with the guy who hates your people. Yeah, and, and you're gonna be representing Mex yeah. America. Yeah, in this stupid storyline. Now, this is his punishment for leaving in the first place, and I hope that's not the case. But considering how petty the pro wrestling, uh, the pro wrestling industry could be, it's highly likely. And I'm sorry for assuming, and I'm sorry, Tito Mikey, for having having made this uh, assumption, this conclusion with regard to a storyline. But I cannot, uh, I just can't disassociate dis- the political implications of such such an angle. Let me ask you this. You went to law school, Diva. I mean, you know. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. You went to law school, so you know a little bit more about legalese than I do. Is it legal to fuse two flags together? Uh, it depends on their law. It's, it's not something standard across all countries. It would have to hinge on what, uh, what I don't know, what America would would uh, qualify as defacing the flag. Because, um, whatever country you're in, basta may flag, you can't let it touch the floor, you can't step on it. There are certain things that are considered yeah, disrespectful. Yeah, you, you can't deface the flag, but I don't know if this counts as defacing the flag. Talaga. I'm not sure. Because I think you can go so far, but I think fusing the Mexican flag and the American flag is actually taking it too far. Well, for one thing, I don't, I don't see anyone calling uh, crying foul over it, so maybe it is not illegal. Okay. That's fair, because it, it, it took a while for me to sink, for it to sink in, and I just didn't know who to ask or how to ask it. Uh, yeah, it, it's something I've been wondering. It depends on what they and it really does depend on what they think counts as defacing it. So Alberto Del Rio is now representing this, the, the state or the country of Mexico, no, the where nation, the, where the, the population is two, him yeah. and Zeb. Um, no, no, it's a nation, not a state. Ah, sorry. Uh, there's a difference. The nation is the the idea of you know, of uh, belongingness, yeah, of a of a cultural or societal belongingness. Uh-huh. The state is the actual legal uh, entity. Yeah. Entity. Okay, fair enough. So, uh, so you have that. You have this little little concept. Plus, he's United States champion. Mm. How? Where do you go from here with, without it being taken like a farce? Uh, How do we do this? Well, uh, wait. For one thing, wait. Before we go into that, I just want to say, really good job on the Rio's heel work. Everything that, uh, how they put the match together at Hell in Cell, you can tell that everyone was wanting to cheer him, and you can, uh, if you're smart enough, you can tell that he was doing everything in his power for people to boo him. I, I, people, I think people were expecting the cross arm breaker, and it was genius yeah. that he was not, or he did not get to do that. Ang sakin lang is I actually found the mule kick to be an anticlimactic finish. Exactly, that's the thing. But you don't, you don't, you know, he doesn't want you to be excited for him. Unfortunately, uh huh. But that's what he was trying to do. But about most heels, like you can see their finishers coming. Eh? No, even if they're heels, like even when Edge was a heel, I could tell when he was gonna do the spear. When Flair was yeah, a heel, I could thing. tell him if he figure four. Yeah, exactly. So when you when people can tell that that was gonna happen. It would, you know, it would rile them up. It would excite them, and uh-huh. that's not the. And if people like you, and they get excited for what you're gonna do, one of your signature spots, that's not gonna be. Uh, it's it's not what you want as a heel. You still want people to boo you. You you want people to not, uh, you know, to not give a fuck about you. Well, not the one not give a fuck, but uh, not be as excited for you as they should be. 
There was a time when the mule kick was just a signature move yeah. for, for Del Rio in WWE. I think the, the moment where it got over as a legit finisher was when it legitimately knocked Ziggler <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. Well, it, I, was, that, was that the move that knocked Ziggler out? That was the move. Is it legit? Uh, I think so. 2013, right? Mm. The world championship I, I think it was. Just, no, I think it was just a storyline concussion. Okay, so um, no, here's the thing. Yeah, well, yeah, it was a good. It was good on him to heal it up as a wrestler. But it, again, it goes back to the uh, appropriateness of him being healed in the first, in the first place. place. Yeah, right. Ito, um, just one last question on Del Rio's ring work before we move on. I'm, um, I'm wondering because you said before, right? If if you if you were smart enough to notice the nuances with which Del Rio worked in the ring against Cena, then you could tell that he was actually being healed. But if you weren't. Um, the question is, why did Del Rio have to be so subtle about it? Why couldn't he have just gone all out, started berating the crowd, or you know, parang um, catcalling them from from the ring, or catcalling Cena? Be- because he understood that people were happy to see him back. Uh, no matter what he would do, people would be cheering him that night. So I guess he ha- he figured that he had to go subtle on it. He uh, everything that a, uh, a wrestler would do well, he. Uh, you know, or everything a wrestler would do that would excite the crowd, he avoided doing. So he was basically pulling a page from Jericho's playbook. Hopefully, yeah. All right. Uh, and going back to your question as to how they can fix this, uh, I would suggest that they capitalize on the hesitation that uh, Del Rio is um, a reluctant heel. No, no, no. The hesitation that he's he's showing, whether it's intentional or not. Uh, you know, he, it takes him what forever to return the fist bump or. Yeah to shake uh, Zev's hand what if there is actually something there no what if it was hopefully it was a plan all along if he's been doing that since the time he got back but I wish that you know I, I don't know maybe Zeb has his family at gunpoint kind of some, someone that rich the Mexican aristocrat has something you know you Zeb know. Co- uh, I don't know maybe <laughs> Zeb has something on him you know blackmail he has something on the rear that you know might might de- might get him deported or some shit like that. Something okay. I think something is there. Something is there. I just uh, I just hope they that it really is a place they're going to. All right, uh, let's talk about Roman Reigns, new number one contender. Um, your thoughts on this? Because I know that you've been trying to defend Roman Reigns Aminikamas for quite some time. So I know that you're very open minded about this idea. I'm cool with it. He I think he's earned it. I mean. Uh, good idea on them to have him go through uh, hoops to get uh, to get this opportunity. It's, it's a lot better than you know stealing a Royal Rumble win from behind. Has it been Has it been enough though? You, like, like uh, has it been enough time since people have you know yeah, massively so, turned yeah. on him? Like oh, these seven yeah, months because, have been enough to because, restore no, the credibility. No, yeah, yes, people have been cheering him because he actually is just as exciting as Cesaro in the ring. Well, not. Quite, but he has been putting in the work. I will admit, though, that the spot where Kevin Owens tried to lift him up for the pop-up power mm. bomb, the Superman punch, that was awesome. It was awesome, and I think he's been finding ways to, you know, to be more awesome, uh, little by little. And I think uh, that's the kind of face you needed. Yeah, something that you know makes you pop like that for spots like that. Right, right. So. If, if it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that he's gonna win, or he's. It doesn't mean that he's automatically gonna win the championship at Survivor Series. But I am okay with him in this spot. 
I'm actually cool with, uh, nga, again, uh, seeing Roman Reigns work, um, work through situation after situation to get to the number one contender spot. I actually want to see him focus more on his athleticism, being a crazy athletic baby face, than being major corny, corny a good guy. Uh, again, it's just what it's just them writing his promos for him. He's better off kasi as a man of few words. I think yeah, the yeah, reason why Brock Lesnar got over as a babyface in his initial run from, it's funny because from many he, years ago. It's funny because I think Roman knows what exactly he needs to say. And for, how to say it. For, you know, for people to take him seriously. You saw it in this episode of Raw. Now, he, he cut this promo against Rollins. Yep. He went from... He started out as Corny Joe. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the, the Cena adjacent Joe. Yeah. The funny Cena adjacent. And then he really went quickly. He went really quickly to serious, you know, Shield Joe. Right. And that and that one really worked. Eh? Especially when you start off with being corny. Okay, now that you're corny, now that you went to the serious mode, and I go, oh, that, that is a huge difference. Like he means business, yeah. diba? Um But if there was anything that I could still bitch about Roman Reigns, it's probably his attire. That <laughs> bulletproof vest has to go. It, he made it work for... He made it work for the... The amount of time he he had it on, but it jumped the shark when he put the logo on it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know the logo, but you overkill it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's paying tribute to D'Lo Brown, but I I would like him to return to a more traditional wrestler look. If uh, um we we talked about this online, and you said nah, his Leaki look with the trunks was what you would go for. I personally wouldn't want to see six foot five Roman Reigns in just his briefs. I would prefer him to look like Edge. Yung naka, no, no, that's fine. I don't mind any but uh, let's get rid of the of the bulletproof vest. It's stupid and nobody else does it in wrestling. But okay, when you look at it, why you would think that why is this guy wearing a bulletproof vest? Isn't that unfair? Yeah, my my padding show, diba? Yeah. Like he can't take a chop from the big show when he has to take a bump. He's got the uh, he's got the padding to like yeah, shield and, him. Yeah, and, and I would assume that it it takes an extra toll on him. And that's impressive considering the things he's able to do in the ring but imagine if he doesn't have it he'll be he'll, I guess he'll be able to do more crazy stuff yeah he'll be sleeker about for so lack of a better yeah. term because he'll have less baggage on him uh, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to Roman Reigns versus or, or Rollins or if not if he really wants to keep a top you might as well go the Dean Ambrose route and wear a tank yeah but there's a lot of people no I'm just saying that if he really wants to wear a top just wear a tank just, it's, it's, the, the bulletproof vest is so stupid yeah yeah, I mean, now that the shield is gone, right? but yeah, speaking of the shield, Rollins versus Roman, I want to see it happen because we've been hearing rumors about Dean Ambrose supposedly turning heel very soon. And if the heel turn happens during the title match where Ambrose screws Reigns over, I would pop for that. That would be a good way to extend uh, the, the feud's shelf life. Maybe, hopefully, up until WrestleMania. Because maybe, I think, I think if you turn... Uh, Ambrose heel now. You're uh, you're effectively setting up a triple threat. Yeah. So if you screw, if you have Ambrose screw Rollins out, uh, 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 screw Roman out at Survivor Series, Roman can focus on feuding with Ambrose up until the road to WrestleMania, and maybe he can win. Someone can win the Rumble again, and somehow get in or and have the third person somehow get the title shot, get another title shot at WrestleMania. How, how about getting that third person the title shot through a tournament or of, of some sort? So you know, must, yeah, for, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, just get in the shot so so two people can lay claim to uh, to to the championship match at WrestleMania. 
the bigger question then, if if the goal or the end game is a triple threat between the Shield guys, is does Rollins stay champion for a solid year? I don't mind. Heading it. into WrestleMania, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. It's if if especially the end game for this round is to put Reigns over as a, a strong young champion. Okay. Um, so you better give him the WrestleMania moment. Either him or Dean. Yeah, I, I, I was siempre partido kay Dean. Like I, I would rather see Dean get that moment. Um, let's talk about the Wyatts this time and how they have begun this this new story with the Undertaker and Kane. It's it's basically the Bray Wyatt revenge tour. <laughs> That's what we're seeing. I I like it because it tied up really well with not just his feud with the Undertaker from WrestleMania, but also with his feud with Reigns. Because he. It it took him a real quick passage, but it worked really well because he said that in order for him to return to full strength and get back to making Reigns' life a living hell, he needed to feast on The Undertaker uh-huh. and revitalize himself by doing so, which makes sense. You see, he tied them all together. He's, he has a point because how could anyone take him seriously? How could Reigns take him seriously after a loss? Yeah. If... He hasn't even proven himself against the real face of fear. So he's basically saying at this point, na Roman di patay tapos. Yes. Magtutus patay. Yeah. Pero for now, I have something else on my mind. Um. And then no, yeah, and everything meant something. Right? Do, you, do you find it problematic though, na Roman didn't respond to that? No, because it doesn't matter. He won. It doesn't. Parang okay. It's if I were Roman, I would say okay, say whatever you want to say. I'm gonna move on and challenge for the for the world heavyweight championship, and you do whatever you want. Just don't fuck with me, and if, because if you fuck with me, I'll fuck with you. Mm-hmm. So why why would he respond to that? So um, now that now that the Wyatt family has essentially uh, gone uh, taken out both Undertaker and Kane, we focus our attention to wondering who will be in Team Undertaker. For sure, Kane is there, Nan. I mean, they've set that up. Eh? Mm. Uh, but there's this hashtag that you showed me on on Twitter: All Survivor Series, Survivor yeah. Series, where people are fantasy booking like teams to to combat the Wyatt family. But no, 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 no. no. All Survivor Series, Survivor Series. It's just fantasy booking teams to compete in Survivor Series. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. Um, but that being said, who would you who would you peg this time? Because Dean Ambrose is out of the question for for this one. How do you know that? Because I see him. Uh, but he's not doing anything. He's not doing anything. Yes, actually, oh, it's actually a bigger swerve if he's preoccupied supposedly yeah, exactly. with the Undertaker feud yeah. and then comes out to screw uh, Roman in the main if event. If this is the Bray Wyatt revenge tour, you might as well stock team uh, team brothers of destruction with the people who the Wyatts have fucked with. Basically, Ambrose and Orton. Yeah. So, you know, that's your four on four. Yeah. Well, well, is, it, is there another choice uh, aside from Orton? Yeah, what? Yung ay, wala rin akong maisip eh, at this point. Sino ba? Jericho. Really? Oh, yeah. Pero kasi with the tension that he, he yeah. kind of that built w- between that himself. That would be nice to address, to be fair. If he comes back and then, you know, to sign up for the Team Brothers of Destruction, he comes back and. And work shit out with Dean. You know what I I want to see. Um, I'm I'm not sure if I got to tell you this, but I I want to see Undertaker actually go around a la, sto- a la Stone Cold from 2003. Yeah, like, like he goes around and looks for partners. Cause say for one, that's what I wanted. It it humanizes the Undertaker. He's already human after the things that he's been through. That's true. Pero um, uh, if you've noticed, all of his recent storylines have been in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, one of the biggest criticisms against WWE storytelling is that storylines always exist in a vacuum such that 
if A versus B are fighting, they absolutely cannot or must not interact with C and D unless they're put together in a six-man tag. <laughs> so I, I want to see these interactions in the locker room between wrestlers who aren't necessarily feuding just because it makes, the, it, it makes their interactions more dynamic. Diba? So this is why I want to see Undertaker solicit the help of Ambrose, right. solicit the help of Orton. Maybe if Jericho happens to be in the town where they're doing a Raw, I want to see them actually interact and see that these are two grizzled vets and they're actually talking. You can have Ryback too, if you want. Oh, no, no. Yeah, Ryback did have issues with, with the Wyatt family. And I think, I think Ryback is the one who can benefit the most from a situation like this, especially after how we've criticized his babyface mm. run as being very stale. Yeah, and I think he works well in the team right now. Uh, as you saw from the six-man tag at Raw, Dudley Boys and Ryback versus uh, Euro Trash Lads. A.K.A. the loser's bracket. No. It was the loser's bracket. Last year, they won Hell in a Cell. Oh, whatever. I like the Euro Trash Lads. Uh, he worked well within a team when he was just having fun out there. Really quickly about the Euro Trash Lads. Uh, we, know though, uh, we know now that Ruru is no longer part of the team. It's officially Seamus and King Bear. he's injured. I think he was like the honorary Big E of the team. <laughs> honorary Big E. Um, I want to see these guys, though. Sheamus and Barrett compete for the tag championships. I think it'll be a good thing for them. Um, what else can we talk about this week? Ah, uh, We're turning a new page in the Divas division. Mm-hmm. Especially after Paige finally, officially, formally turned heel. Which is fine, actually. Uh, now that I th- the more I think about it, because it's not just a sudden heel turn anymore. Right. It was when it first happened, but I like, now that I look back on it, I like that Secret Secret Tie with all the, you know, Paige, well, trashing them on the mic first and then Paige trying trying to get back on their good graces. Uh, I like that it wasn't a formal heel turn until. Until Raw, was it really sudden Night of Champions? Because for me, um, the oh, seeds no, no, were being no, no. It, wasn't, so it wasn't. Yeah, for I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, okay, it happened on this night. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it it didn't really. We didn't. We didn't. It was the first salvo, kumbaga. My um, one thing that I want to call out lang in this little storyline is uh, where Natalia has to fit again. Because they took her out, and then the, um, yeah, she'd been mentioned, pero to the extent lang na you took her out, like there was no update na she got such and such injury. She's taking such and such amount of time to get back. No, she's already back. Is she? As of SmackDown. Okay, so, so I, I haven't seen SmackDown spoilers. I think, I think I think she is aligning with Charlotte and Becky. So they're now t- Team NBC. Oh, like the network. Pretty much. Okay. Um, Anya, yeah, does Paige need two other people to go with her? Because, no, isn't it weird? We not? I mean, <laughs> we know that she doesn't play well with others. What's she going to get? Eva Marie? Oh, fuck oh. that, dude. Um, are you comfortable, though, with Natalia being paired up with Becky and Charlotte? Kasi, okay, lang. I think I think that the two young ladies need uh, a veteran presence. Sa akin naman kasi, I don't think she needs to be an ate to the two of them. Like I think you need to let these two, or you need to let Charlotte and Becky flourish on their own, and you know, not necessarily let Natalia be. Yung, oh yeah, I mean yeah, for yung sure. Yung yaya nila or ate nila. But yeah, sure. Uh, but with all the convolutedness going around, like okay, Natalia has a problem with Paige. Charlotte and Becky have a problem with Paige. Charlotte and Becky also have a problem with Team Bad. Yeah. And Team Bad also have a problem with the Bellas. Right. How do you like? It's hard to fit someone right there unless you give a lot of time to the divas division. 
which they're actually not getting anymore, right? Yeah. Um, but when, when this whole diva revolution thing began, they would get they would get two segments, mm-hmm. sometimes even three. But now, limited to just that, just that one match. Now, that now I, I want. Now I wonder if they did it on purpose and that they fucked it up on purpose. You know, giving give them a lot of time on purpose and to the point that you beat it to the ground and the audience doesn't like it that much anymore. Yeah. So you go back to the old status quo on purpose. And I hate to say this, but we've seen this kind of happen before. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, you know um, if, if you talk about, say, Cesaro, mm-hmm. right? you know, they say character, which is why he ended up being, say, on a kickoff show right now or something. And that's frustrating. Um, anything else about Raw you want to talk about or do you want to move on to NXT? Uh, this, this week's NXT, I haven't seen it. This week's NXT was actually pretty good just because, um, I mean, you know, uh, uh, to, gi- to give you something to get excited about in case you haven't seen this week's show, Jordan and Gable, if you don't believe in them, they are the real deal. They had a great match against Ciampa and Gargano and... I I've always been a fan of technical wrestling, but that's because it's very it's very scientific to an extent, I guess. Parang you target a body part and then you tell a story through that body part. The way that Gable does technical wrestling is he makes it exciting. Like he actually gets you off your seat and makes you say "tanginang ganda nuna." And I found myself just laughing, uh, you know, just watching him and, and laughing and having a good time. And that's something that is is worth commending about uh, Chad Gable. Uh, just to just to be, uh, I guess, a bit nitpicky. It's it's not all technical wrestling. It's really a lot of amateur wrestling, which isn't all uh, totally technical. I, so when I, when I, when I, when I hear technical, I think of catch, and catch is a lot slower. Mm-hmm. And what his what he's doing is amateur Greco Roman freestyle wrestling. I'm wondering though, na the way that Jordan and Gable wrestle uh, wrestle right now, is that what Benjamin and Ha should have been doing before? Because the that way is that what they, they've been doing before. Pero yung style nila was actually a bit slower eh, compared to Jordan and Gable, who are just really but all over the place. They're running around. But only because Gable is what five six, five eight. Yeah, and Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin were huge. Yeah, well, Benjamin was crazy athletic, and he was a mo- obviously he was a more exciting part of the team but well it probably has to do with I guess better conditioning one thing I want to bring up about um, Ready, Willing and Gable is that I think they're finally babyface and thank God somebody finally figured it out Mm -hmm. Uh, they they are babyface? that they are babyface how do we know this? Uh, from the match okay Gargano and Ciampa. Um, Gargano and Ciampa actually worked heel mm-hmm. uh, in that match. And people just really behind Jordan and Gable. Like, uh, from the start, palang, people were chanting Jordan and Gable to the tune of You Suck. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that right. Yeah, yeah. But that's uh, Gable, lang, diba? Now it's Gable, Jordan, Gable, Jordan. Like, alternating. Uh, wait, wait, wait. So that was fun. That was fun. I, I, I loved Full Sail for that. Um, other things that happened on, on NXT... Uh, you got, you got a good match between Joe and Tyler Breeze, Samoa Joe and Tyler Breeze, uh, and this is obviously setting up your eventual heel turn if you've been uh, reading NXT spoilers. And uh, what, what what else is worth mentioning from NXT lately? Ah, Finn Balor is back. Oh, that's good. Yeah, what after after a long absence, he just cut a promo at the end I of the know program. That. Huh? What is the explanation for his absence? It was not explained. Jesus. Three weeks without Three weeks. Finn Balor. Why are you Bakumalik na nga. Pinayagan ni William Regal yung VL niya. 
speaking of VLs, uh, John Cena's VL is not going to last very long. How long is it going to last now? It's uh, he's he's going to be out until December. He's actually booked to return by TLC to challenge El Patron for the US Championship. But that's December. It's December. Yeah. I mean, we were thinking cuz he would be out until the Royal Rumble. No. No, you you weren't reading. I was. At least I was. You weren't reading. He he was only going to be back until late December. Well, yeah. So, uh, he's currently scheduled to be back by then. He's already being advertised to return uh, for the... Is that is that what you wrote in the grapevine? That he that it was shortened? No, um, yes. But it wasn't shortened. That was his, that was his actual timetable. Oh, okay. Uh, I was mistaken then. Because I was actually assuming that he'd be out until the new year, at least. Mm, but he's back by the post-Christmas tour, so he'll be, work- he'll be working the live events. Um, is this good or bad? Nah, his, his, his break is just... Six weeks, roughly. Is it six weeks? More or less, eh? If you're going to count today. December 13th. That's when TLC is. So that's around six weeks. Oh, if I, if I were Cena... Is it really six weeks? It, it is six weeks, dude. Uh, if I were Cena, I think that'd be long enough. No? But uh, since he has no injury... Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, I couldn't even take more than two weeks off. Or more than a week off. And feel good about it. You, sir, are a bona fide workaholic. No, it's not, not being a workaholic. It's more like, what do you do when you have no time, when you have a lot of time? I don't know, make babies with Nikki Bell or some shit. I don't know. Other news that came out this week um, that, that I kind of want to touch on Lucha Underground. <laughs> Nikki is busy. She's not taking time off. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Lucha Underground, though, is getting a sci fi movie, apparently. It is in the works. It's something that they kind of want to do. And. I'm interested in the possibility about this this movie that they that they're putting together. It's actually uh, an homage to old lucha tradition. Nah, lucha stars like El Santo, yeah, would go on to become movie stars. Diba si Mystico meron din. Yeah, and Gori was also um, in one of Santo's movies. Mm-hmm. So I think this is just them continuing the tradition of uh, of luchadors being. B-movie stars. Which, you know, I think isn't something to laugh at entirely. Um, it's not like they're going to get people like Danny Trejo to suddenly appear in it. Right? Oh, hey, hey, don't... don't, don't uh, no. Danny Trejo was in the temple, so don't count, don't count that out. Ah, fine. Uh, we also know that Marty the Moth... Uh, and if someone were to do a B-movie, it would be Danny Trejo. Yeah, because Machete was totally a B-movie. Um, I mentioned Marty the Moth. He's getting his sister by season two. Yep, I know. I saw that one. Yeah, it's uh, cheerleader Melissa. Uh, I kind of want. I, I kind of want this this sister character to play off of Marty the Moth as the serious one, mm-hmm. the serious foil. Now, she's the one uh, who kind of well, keeps Marty on a leash. Marty is already an eh. He's already turned crazy. You know, I mean, he is crazy now, so you need to have someone to keep him on that leash. Okay. So that's kind of how I see him. Uh, to make another reference to TV, he, uh, I want it to be like the Theo Gallivant to Marty's Tabitha from Gotham. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so there. Other news uh, for this week that uh, you might want to pick up on as well is that WWE wants you to forget that Los Matadores exists. <laughs> they want that to happen. Okay. Uh, they want to repackage Diego and Fernando, formerly known as Primo and Epico. But Primo is Diego. Epico is Fernando. I just, well, as much as I have the colognes, I, I don't really care which one was which. Here's the thing. We know that WWE has a history of trying to, uh, trying to make fans think they're stupid or trying to um, make us forget things even though we can't forget them. But mm-hmm. I don't get why they keep on insisting that it's 
na, make them forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Na parang I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do a men in black on you and wipe your memory. Yeah. Well, you can't well, Vince, do that. Shit. Vince still thinks it's in there. This is the old days. I mean, from the moment Diego and Fernando walked out, we knew they were primo and epico, diba? We well, knew- obviously, because we read rumors in dirt sheets. Even if in there, I mean, you could see no. in the eyes. You could see in their eyes well, that they you, were still if, the same guys and you, they sounded were, like If them. you were a fan of the Colognes, sure. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, obviously, yes. But I don't think, I, don't know, I, I think you have to give them more credit than that. <laughs> I just think it's disappointing. Oh, and yeah, I, I, I think it's frustrating for... Uh, for these two guys, for for Primo and Epico, because they're undergoing so many gimmick changes, and it's as if they're not getting much history out of it. You know what I mean? Parang they're not growing as characters because as well, soon as okay, an experiment the best, way, flops, the best way to fix this would be to have them join the Mex America stable and go off on a fourth wall breaking rant on how they were made to do this or that. Wow, actually, yeah, that that wouldn't be bad at all. It just wouldn't work if. In theory, nothing about Zeb hanging something over El Patron's head actually worked. So what? Then have him hang something over their heads. Have Zeb have something over everyone's heads. Wow. You know, you know, Zeb would be such a compelling villain if he could have all of this leverage against these guys, and yet he's like, hindi siya makalakad, scooter lang siya. Yeah. Alam mo yun? Parang napakagaling niya. He'll be like, he'll be like Bizarro Mabini. Bizarro Mabini. Yeah. Because Mabini was the one pulling the strings, right? he was one of, the, one of the masterminds, and he couldn't walk. So Zeb would be like Bizarro Mabini. <laughs> All right, um, I think we're, we're just about done uh, covering this week in wrestling. If there's anything you think we missed out on, anything you agree with or disagree with, hit us up on Twitter. You know where to find us, at underscore Stancy, at Rois War for the podcast. It's at the SGP Podcast. All right, we finally got to make it work. The stars have finally aligned, and the SGP podcast would like to officially welcome TJ Perkins to the podcast. How's it going, TJ? Very good. Uh, we finally uh, lucked out. <laughs> <laughs> finally, yeah. We were waiting for this uh, yesterday, and we thought we were ready to mail it in without the interview. But uh, thank God you, you uh, finally freed us in time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. It, it was... Uh, uh, an odd situation. Well, Los Angeles traffic is so bad, and uh, when I had showed up, they had switched around the order of uh, performances and stuff. So then I, I walked basically straight through the green room to the ring, and then when I came back, it was a little bit later than we had uh, talked about. And I sent a couple messages, and it was just uh, just got all uh, mixed up. So, can we ask uh, like what promotions you 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 do right now, other than you know TNA and maybe GFW? What do you oh, do yeah. in the West Coast? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so actually, the reason why I was so busy this last um, this last little while was uh, I had started uh, maybe two week uh, trip where I was traveling coast to coast. Actually, I started out uh, in Las Vegas for a company called the Future Stars of Wrestling. Um, it's just uh, like a regional uh, Southwest, like lo- localized in Las Vegas, and then. Um, I flew to New York after that for a couple shows for Evolve, um, which uh, is it's still growing, but now it's it's uh, it's becoming one of the more popular, um, you know, independent groups, and uh, and is doing some work with NXT and, and stuff like that right now. Um, and uh, after that, I headed out to San Francisco for actually some stunt work and. Um, some motion capture for video games and, and things like that. 
And I was out there for a week, and then after that, I headed to Los Angeles. And uh, the last uh, few nights, I've been in downtown wrestling for a company called Lucha Vavum. Mm. Oh, uh, Lucha Vavum Salon. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, and uh, so that's where I was the last few nights, and then finally, now I drove uh, back to Las Vegas. So, finally, I have a few days off. Yo, I cannot wait to see you back in Evolve. It's not your first time, am I correct? Uh, no, no, not at all. But how long have you yeah, been, uh, you know, how long has it been since you were last there? Well, I, uh, I actually came back, uh, early summer, late spring of this year, and it hadn't been since 2010, I think, uh, when the last time I was there, cause I was there, they number their shows like, uh, like how UFC events are. Right. And I was on Evolve like one through three and then I didn't come back again until recently. It was like Evolve 40 or 45 or something like that. So um, it had been a it had been a while. I can't I can't wait to see those. Um, yeah, and then uh, oh, and then also in the middle of the road trip, I, I actually uh, had stopped uh, back in my hometown for about one day to uh, <laughs> to do the Global Force Arena oh, show. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, that, that was basically my, my menu for the last two weeks. Oh, do you have any ideas on when, uh, we can finally see Global Force, uh, maybe on TV or wherever? Um, you know, I guess depending on, uh, the region of, of, uh, you know, whoever's listening, like wherever, depending on your region, like where you live, um, uh, it could be different times because I, I believe that they have, um, they have stuff in the works for programming, but it's it's all of them are on different timelines, and um, and not everything is is fully set up. But I, I I'm pretty confident that uh, it seems like it'll be pretty soon within you know the early part of the year. Um, you know, it, it should be coming up pretty pretty quickly for them. Really quickly, I want to talk about uh, the video game that you you mentioned that you were doing and the NXT work that you said that you also did over the last two weeks. So how did that come about? Uh, well, I didn't actually do any work uh, for NXT, but uh, Evolve had uh, had been uh, in the news uh, uh, mentioned along with NXT, and, and uh, a lot of the guys actually had been recruited from there recently. Uh, uh, a group of really wonderful guys too. They have such a, a great talent pool there. Um, you know, Gabe is he has always had such a good eye for talent. Um, so uh, really, they're just strictly Evolve shows uh, in New York. Um, how, um, let's talk about your story and how uh, you got into wrestling. I, I've, we've read about your story, but we want to hear it straight from you as well. Like, how did you how did you end up getting into the business, into the industry, and um, where did you start? Um, well, I started uh, here on the West Coast. I started in Los Angeles, is where I grew up, um, and uh, uh, I had. I, I was a weird kid growing up. I I always assumed I would be a wrestler. When I grew up, but like, I was so absorbed with it. But I kind of thought, in a weird way, like I thought everybody grew up to be wrestlers. Like wow. that's how much I was absorbed by pro wrestling. Like I, I thought like, okay, like my sister's gonna grow up and be wrestling someday. Like my friends were all gonna grow up and be wrestlers someday. Like I had no, like I was that absorbed with it, like mentally and and my attention span and whatever. But even though I. I clearly knew that there were doctors and lawyers and firemen and other stuff in the world, but <laughs> I just grew up thinking that. And so I always assumed someday that's what I'll do. And then when I got 
uh, older and I grew up an all sport athlete. And, and so when I got to high school, um, I wanted to wrestle amateur and then I figured I would try to find a professional gym after, uh, this was 1998, my first year of uh, high school. And, um, and when I showed up, they didn't have, uh, an amateur wrestling team. And, uh, I was playing all the other sports, um, coming into high school and, and, uh, my dad had me attending NCAA bound athlete meetings and stuff like that, hoping that I would try to get a scholarship, you know, by the time I was done. And, uh, uh, I started, uh, mailing, well, cause the internet wasn't so big at the time. Yeah. I started like s- sending away like letters for the advertisements for pro wrestling gyms and stuff you would see like in pro wrestling illustrated and magazines and things like that. And, uh, I got some replies, but they were usually, they, most of them were out of state or somewhere far away. And they, you needed to be like 21 or 18 years old at least to, to, uh, join. And I was only 13 at the time. Wow. But, uh, yeah. So being, so I, I thought it was kind of a dead end, but being in, in Southern California, there's a lot of, uh, Lucha Libre, um, culture here. And so there was, there were some gyms that I was able to find out about. It took a while because it's mostly like word of mouth type thing. And, uh, you know, they, they, you know, their, op- their culture is open to, to, uh, all ages and, and, uh, and, uh, they allowed me to come in the gym at the young age and, and, uh, I mean, the rest is history. I, I sort of blinked and 17 years of my career passed me by <laughs> before I knew it. It's, that's just what my life was. You mentioned that, uh, you thought your sister was going to be a wrestler and that you were going to be a wrestler. Was wrestling big in your family? Uh, not, no, not really. Uh, I remember my earliest memories growing up when maybe when I was like two or three, like a baby really, um, would be like sitting with my dad and watching Saturday night's main event. So I know that like, maybe it was a thing that he liked casually. Um, and growing up like as a toddler, you know, I would watch it with him and stuff. And I, I assume that's where my love for it came is just cause that's, you know, one of the few things that I shared with him growing up, just along with all other sports and stuff like that. But no, I mean, it wasn't really a big thing. And, uh, I was, I was really the only one that was, that was really into it. But did your parents, uh, did you, did your parents know that you wanted to be a wrestler at like age 13 or that you were trying to do that? Uh, they, they always knew that I wanted to do that, but, um, uh, all the stuff that I did was always like, like beyond their knowledge. They, they didn't know, but my, I, my fam, like I, I grew up in a household. They didn't keep tabs on me. So like, uh, my parents never really knew what I was doing anyway. Cause I, I, <laughs> oh, I, 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 I grew up a pretty good kid. So they never felt the need to watch me. I never had a curfew, stuff like that. So, um, and my parents traveled for a living. So that's kind of another reason why it was an easy segue for me is cause they worked for TWA. My mom still works for American airlines actually. So I kind of grew up without them around. Like I had a yeah, yeah growing up. No my, way. My wow. Gra- yeah, my grandma and uh, my great aunts, my grand or my grandma's sister, they would kind of switch off, and so my parents would be gone for weeks at a time, and it would just be me and my sister and, and our yeah yeah, and, and so like uh, they got used to not having to worry about us, and we kind of grew up, my sister and I, um, like I, I I feel like I kind of became an adult at a young age because I started to become self sufficient because my parents weren't always around. So when I started wrestling, they didn't really know. I just kind of you know, it was the first thing I was driven to 
do for myself. And I just went out and laid the path for myself without having to ask their advice. And they just, they just knew that I had started something and, you know, and I guess if you ask them, they would say before they knew it, I moved to Mexico or I moved to Japan and they, you know, they didn't realize until I was gone. Would you ever feel guilty about, you know, uh, keeping some of that from them? Because, you know, pro wrestling is a dangerous sport, uh, no matter how you, how you, how you try to spin it. So weren't you a bit guilty that you were, you, you were doing this, I don't know, behind everyone's knowledge? Um, I, I, it probably crossed my mind as far as, um, feeling a little guilty, but, like my parents, uh, the good part about growing up the way I did was um, they they never like really leaned on me a whole lot. So I didn't have some of the stress that other kids go through where they, they want their parents to get off their back sort of thing. Um, but the downside is they usually didn't care a lot about what I did. So my sports, like I'd play varsity basketball. They never went to the games and stuff like that. Um you know, I would stuff like that. They they were never really engaged with me growing up. So when I started wrestling, and that was a really special thing for me. Um, obviously, and it's, you know, it's become my whole life. Um, like just uh, this last week at the Global Force Arena show, it was the first time my mother ever came to see me live. So wow, how's that? Uh, and I was really, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was so it was such a great event, and it was so nice to have my my mom there. And uh, yeah, I took her out for sushi afterward and stuff. It was nice and. You know, she came to visit and see, you know, like I just bought a house. So she came to see the new house and stuff like that. So it was, it was nice. But uh, so, you know, when I was younger, I think in some of it, in spite of the the fact that we were so distant, uh, my parents and I, like I, I didn't feel that guilty because I felt like this is going to be my own thing. I'm on my own now. So it, it doesn't really matter, I guess, you know. Um, what I felt most guilty about was I almost didn't – finish high school because I started wrestling pretty much immediately when I was 13. So a lot of the matches I would have to make, I would ditch school on like a Friday and have wrestlers pick me up from like the schoolyard. I'd sneak out yeah, and I would go to, sh I would travel with them to shows on like Friday, Saturday, Sunday night and have them drop me back off at school on Monday. So a lot of times I was missing school and not doing my work. So I, if I, when I did feel guilty, I felt guilty that like, oh man, I might not actually graduate. And then I felt like, okay, that'll impact me and my family and stuff like that. But luckily I did. So man, I don't know whether to call you the, uh, the luckiest kid I, I know, <laughs> but uh, go. <laughs> sorry, lucky, sorry. lucky is actually a, a great, probably the best way to put it. Cause I mean, some of those shows I would be you know, hopping in a car and then having to transfer to some other wrestler's car because they weren't going to the same show that I was the next night. And then some of the shows would be across the border, like in Mexico. So I would get stopped at the border. Like one of the times when I was like 16, I got stopped at the border at gunpoint. They dumped my bag out, and took some of the money that I made. And another guy had some of his like, uh, like he had fat burner pills with him and they took his supplements because they didn't know what it was. They just thought... Maybe it's drugs are going to take it and sell it or whatever they're going to do. Oh, man. So, like, so, I mean, there was some pretty scary stuff when I was younger. And in retrospect, like, it was probably really reckless. Right. Um, DJ, so, uh, some of us here, uh, at least um, here in the Philippines, are actually aware that uh, your roots here in the Philippines are in Manila. But which part of Manila is your family from? 
I wish my mom was still here. I'd ask her, <laughs> I'd ask her directly. She uh, she grew up in um, like uh, her. I mean, I, I guess it's kind of common anyway. But uh, uh, like her household was like a compound with like a lot of her family there and like multiple like houses. Yeah, you that's know? pretty common. Yeah, uh, I don't remember where she had said it was. I just remember that um, it was in Manila. We had planned a trip that I keep putting off to go visit my cousins and stuff over there. Um, a lot of them like tend to keep coming over here for the holidays, and I'm like, you guys gotta stop coming here because then it makes it it brings down my incentive to chase you guys down back back at home. So, so you've never actually have you actually been to the Philippines or to, you know to visit family here? No, I have not. It's been a failed attempt for years. Every time I plan a trip, I get sent away on a tour or something like that. Oh, man, that's unfortunate. Um, before we get to our next question, though, TJ, I'd like to introduce you to our third co-host. His name is Raf, and he just joined us in the booth. Hey, man, how are you doing? <laughs> Hello, Raf. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, TJ. <laughs> so, Snap, back yeah. to you. Right. So, so uh, yeah, we, we were talking about how, uh, yeah, he's, he's, you've never been to the Philippines yet, um, but... Um, if if you were ever to come over and to, I guess this is just our way of inviting you as well. But if you were ever to come over, would you actually l- uh, like to watch a PWR show uh, to an, uh, you know one of our events? Yeah, of course. I've actually um, I've heard a lot about it uh, and from people. Like I would get like little, uh, uh, I guess, kind of like encouragement. Like they're like, "Would you come visit? Would you wrestle? Would you want to? Would you want to see this?" And I, I've seen pictures and some some. Uh, some stuff uh of the events and stuff and um and that that would that's actually i like i've over the years i've kind of knocked out all the stuff i had on my bucket list of stuff i ever wanted to do and this is the that's this is like the first thing in more than like 10 or 15 years i'm actually adding something to my bucket list is is i would actually like to to see it and participate or something like anything i can like uh if um, you know, if the opportunity arises, um, if we may ask, what have you seen from PWR? Because you said that people have been sending you uh, videos and pictures. What have you seen? I've just seen like small clips, and I, I don't know who's who in them. And then um, um, I've seen some pictures, and then same same idea. Like I, I don't I don't know all the background of of uh, of everybody that's over there, or or what the scale is. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll just get stuff in passing, and it's hard to put it into context. All right. Uh, you mentioned your, your wrestling bucket list or your bucket list in general. I'd like to go back to that. Uh, is there anything left other than helping out here in the Philippines? Is there anything left you want to do in your career? Um, not really, actually. I don't know. I, I've, I've been really lucky. I, like... God blessed me with a pretty, pretty awesome path, um, for the most part. Like almost immediately, I, I was able to knock out a few things I thought I would never be able to do, and then, uh, you know, other stuff sort of just kind of fell into place after that. Um, <clears throat> growing up, a lot of my bucket list was pretty much modeled after Eddie Guerrero. Like I always wanted to just do the same things that he did. So when I first started, um, like like wrestling in a WWE ring or something like that, or like being on SmackDown or Raw, like that wasn't really, that was like maybe fifth place or something on my bucket list. It wasn't really near the top. Like I always wanted to go to New Japan 
and uh, wrestle in the Tokyo Dome. I wanted to go to CMLL and wrestle in Arena Mexico. I wanted to go to AAA. Um, you know, I wanted to do all these different things and, you know, be in the Super Juniors tournament and stuff like that. So uh, when I was about 17, I got brought into New Japan sort of as a young boy. And then, uh, you know, I, did, I ended up getting that almost, that was like the first real big thing I did. Um, so then, uh, you know, everything just kind of fell into place from there. And then before I knew it, you know, probably by the time I was 21, I looked back and it was like, man, everything that I wanted to do, I kind of like, not even by like, not that I didn't work hard because obviously I did, but like, it almost felt like it happened so quickly, like by accident, like it just kind of was automatic, like boom, 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 boom. Um, and then, uh, you know, after that, I just sort of, uh, mostly because of events that happened to me, like I started to refocus like what I valued. So it wasn't my bucket list became, or at first it was stuff like, you know, doing certain things like, uh, like what I had mentioned, but then it became about, you know, more adult things like, you know, start a family someday or like, yeah. you know, buy a house and things like that. Like, um, you know, just because I didn't value that as a kid, like that's kind of the downside of having a career at a young age. You don't really, you don't know like what a career is. You don't really know what life is, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think I read this off your Ask.fm profile, something um, you mentioned previously that uh, you were one of the youngest gaijins in New Japan. How, how was that experience? And um, which wrestlers trained you when you were in the New Japan dojo? Um... Yeah, that uh, I think that's still a record too. Um, I'm the youngest, uh, the youngest gaijin, I think, in New Japan history, and I think um, at the time I was anyway, at least American. But I think, I think any foreigner, but at least definitely American. I was the youngest, and uh, and also the youngest to youngest American to compete in the Tokyo Dome. Um, that, those were totally lucky because it happened right after my birthday. So a lot of people, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people have a, a big enough window to break those ones because those were like weeks after I turned 18. So it was kind of, it'd be kind of hard. Um, and uh, coming into the dojo, it was uh, the same class as uh, Nakamura and Goto and right after Tanahashi's class. So I was coming up like with the same, with that kind of with that group. And, uh, Shinya Makabe was, was one of the mentors. Um, Minoru Tanaka wasn't really a coach, but he kind of took me under his wing a little bit. And, uh, I, I think that's kind of how I get a lot of my style is from him. Like, um, how smooth and how, um, collected he is as, as far as a performer and as a character I get from him. Um, Kenemoto was also kind of a mentor to me. Um, I'd probably, you know, list those guys as, as, uh, the ones who kind of brought me up the most. Were you the youngest boy? Uh, uh yeah, you were the youngest gay gen. How, how was it like though, when you were in there with some of the older guys? Uh, it's pretty intimidating. Cause like, I mean, e like the age difference in like physical maturity is, is, you know, very obvious, uh, um, you know, for one thing, but even if I was like 30 years old at that time and, you know, more mature, 
you're still in there with like the best guys in the world. You know, like you're going to training with Jushin Liger, you're going to training and getting on the bus with like, you know, these different guys. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's intimidating. Um, but I, you know, I just full speed ahead, I guess. <laughs> what, what is it like? Uh, you're an 18 year veteran of the ring as of now. Well, how, what is that like at 31 years old? Because some of these, uh, most of the guys in pro wrestling are just hitting their primes. Not to say that you're not in your prime, but you've been doing this way longer than most people. What is it like? And how has your, I guess, perception of the industry changed after so long a time? Um, I think the good thing about it for me is it kind of bought me some time. Uh, when I was younger, I was actually able to pick up on that. Uh, really quickly like I kind of knew that I had a special opportunity because of how young I was Um, so I would uh, I kind of took it slow as far as learning and I was a lot more I was a lot more um, I took to details very carefully because I always wanted to be I always wanted to have the highest wrestling IQ possible so you know I always wanted to be able to be like like a good point guard or a great quarterback that just, you know, you know the game. So I knew that I had a lot of time in order to do that. So when I was younger, I would, you know, make mistakes sometimes on purpose just to see if I could fix it in the match or to see what would happen, like, so I could apply what I've learned. You know, older wrestlers, they don't have that luxury because they have to start, you know, doing their business. And for me, I knew that for a lot of the years is I was too young for me to do great things because people weren't going to take me seriously yet. So I looked at it as well. I could use this as like live action practice. I could learn stuff and apply things that I've been taught and see actual cause and effect of it. Um, and then as far as like generationally, my perce- well, my perception is the same, but like things have just changed so much. Like as far as, uh, like young wrestlers will ask me now like advice on coming in and uh for me at the time you know new japan and stuff like that kind of fell on my lap but if i wasn't doing that other stuff that i did would have helped and it was the way guys broke in at the time and doing uh, uh tournaments and stuff out here in the u.s like the super eight tournament or the ted petty and like different things like that you would do these things and then they would be like a springboard because it was a showcase. Like everybody would watch it and then independent groups would kind of pick out of those tournaments, whoever was in it every year, because it was like the best guys coming up. Um, now a lot of that stuff doesn't exist or if it does exist, it's not as important as it once was. And now, you know, you have stuff like, you know, all the different social media, like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and, you know, Google and anything at the time when I started that stuff didn't exist. So now the, the art of, you know, self-promotion and things like that has totally changed. And to be honest, I don't even know if I could do it. If I, if I was just starting today, I don't know. I'm not sure where I would begin because it's changed so much. Okay. DJ, um, you did mention that, you know, your career has spanned a long time and you've seen a lot of evolution with that, we just like to ask, how many more years do you think you can keep on going at the pace that you've been going at as of late? Well, I, uh, 
I, I think, you know, trying to ground myself in technical wrestling will hopefully extend my career a little bit. Um, you know, I've been able to, you know, do a little bit of everything, but uh, I always took to technical wrestling because uh, um, I always thought that it was a very beautiful part of our art. Um, and when I compare wrestling to other sports or something like that, I compare technical wrestling to like a really great ball handler in basketball or, you know, a great running back with great footwork, uh -huh. you know, in football or something like that, you know, like, uh, like Ronaldo or Messi dribbling, a, like a soccer ball. Like it's, it's, it's just beautiful single person art. And so, um, that's why I always took to it. And I feel like because of that, it, you know, so far, I think it's really saved a lot of my career, even though I've, you know, had so many injuries already, but, um, I look at some of my peers who have, you know, even been doing it way less years than me. And, and they're, <laughs> they have, uh, they have a lot worse, uh, effects of, you know, things that they've been through because of their style. So, you know, I mean, if I can walk, then I don't know, maybe I'll be like Kobe Bryant and play forever. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think I hope I can do it, you know, you know, I would do it for as long as I could walk, but, you know, even if I could just do it, you know, into my forties, another, I think another 10 or 15 years physically is, is, uh, is probably still a pretty good guess for me because I, I still, uh, you know, I still feel, still feel pretty fresh. So have you ever thought about what you would do or what you're going to do after you hang it up after, I guess, 10 to 15 years? A little bit. I mean, I've uh, I've started working on other side projects and, and different things, uh, just mainly to uh, to kind of occupy my mind, you know. Because after a while, you do the only one thing for so long. It's just uh, <laughs> it's funny because I, I joke about Kobe, but like he started playing basketball like right around the time I started wrestling, and now he's getting to where he's been doing this for like twenty seasons or whatever, and yep. and. Uh, you know, and he's, uh, you know, you could tell, like, because of how great of a student he is at his thing and how that's all he ever thinks about and does, that, like, after a while, it kind of eats at you. Like, it, you know, it, it, it kind of consumes you a little bit. So, like, I've kind of started to reach that point where I'm like, okay, what other stuff, like, could I apply myself to? So, you know, like, a, a friend of mine and I, we started a comic book project and, you know, he's, he's an animator and, and, uh, does a lot of stuff like that. So we might actually have some stuff going into comic con and, and stuff this year. Um, so I'm, I'm hope that I could start working on side projects like that. Um, you know, I've done some stunt work and stuff. And when I was younger, I actually did acting. My mom wanted me to be, <laughs> wanted me to be a child actor. So, <laughs> so you know. that is such a Filipino thing to be. <laughs> it, it, yeah, no, it, it really is. And she, and she always tells me, you gotta go, you have to go back home because you'd be a big star over there. Which I said, like, mom, every Filipino mom tells every Filipino American kid that. Pretty sure it'll um, happen anyway if you come over and you know give it a try. Yeah, yeah, especially <laughs> since you came, since you grew up in the states, you have that uh, American accent going on. Uh, pe people here love that stuff, man. <laughs> that's that's what I'm told. I, she says, uh, she goes, your accent because you don't like, you know. I grew up, I, I lost a lot of like the Filipino inflection on English words as I grew up. Um, hearing it from like my grandparents and stuff like that. But, um, 
now I've I've been like way more Americanized and like she goes she would tell me oh your accent they would love that you you sound so American and whatever but <laughs> so I mean I there's uh, I've had some outlets to do a little bit of uh performance art for like acting and stuff like that and uh you know I would love to be a coach or an agent or something and pass on you know and provide for wrestling in other ways you know outside of the ring I think and uh you know the and and you know there's other ways like I've my my father was big into real estate and things like that so I've you know looked into you know maybe I might be interested in learning how to invest and doing things like that so you know I've started testing all these things out the last couple of years just to bring it back a little bit to Filipino culture, I wa- uh, we want to a- we we want to ask how connected you still are <coughs> to the Filipino culture, whether it's you know uh, the Philam community there or you know the fans, on, on, yeah. yeah, the fans or online. Oh, I mean, like I, I guess depending on what scale you think, but uh, I mean, for me, I I feel like uh, very much so, and in fact, the last few years, it's it's actually grown a lot more. Um, I've I've actually always been a lot more close to my mother's side of the family, which is like 100% Filipino. So I spend all my holidays and stuff, my cousins and things like that. And when I moved out here uh, to to Las Vegas, I I didn't do it on purpose, but it turned out that I bought my house in like little Philippines, sort of. <laughs> like, so, uh, nice. like I I don't really think that that's a thing, but. The community I ended up picking on accident, totally on accident. I didn't realize until after I had moved in, like all my neighbors are Filipino and a lot of the businesses out here are all like Filipino grocery store, Filipino takeout cuisine, Filipino uh, barbershop, like they're all Filipinos. So, um, so I kind of, I, like, I, I can't escape it now, to be honest. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, a few years ago too, I started, um, I started, uh, collecting uh, different programs and things so I could try to learn like relearn the language and stuff when I was younger I knew some phrases and things but you know I forgot it as I got older and then then I had to learn other languages and stuff and I was away from my family so I, it kind of got lost on me but now I'm starting to relearn it and you know trying to uh trying to stay connected to it just because like you know my family has always been so good to me and uh and they mean so much and and I always wanted to uh use my character and my background like to honor them that's why like places will announce me as being from manila even though i'm not, <laughs> I'm not from manila but like you know they'll ask me like you know you're filipino like can we say you're from here or whatever i say sure because you know for me it's like saying you know this is for you like for my cousins for my mom for everybody's All right, so we've, I, I still can't believe that we actually <laughs> finally made it happen. TJ finally. Perkins on the SGP podcast, and that was just finally. part one. Fun fact. Yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, Stan and I recorded uh, the first part of the show uh, uh, right here at the Mellow 94.7 Studios. And Sounds good. And we were good. prepared to uh, – we recorded um, an intro and an ending – so the intro you hear in this week's episode is the the intro we recorded yesterday. But the ending you hear is not the ending we recorded yesterday. We were so ready to mail it in. <laughs> without DJ. Yeah, without DJ. And maybe schedule it for a future for a future Appearance. episode. Yeah. So we, I'm, I'm just really glad that 
somebody went back and changed the time stream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Barry. Um, anyway, um, for part two, which is coming up next week, we get to talk about TJ Perkins unmasking. Plus, we get to ask him a lot of questions where we draw so many insights about the wrestling business, especially from somebody with 17 years of experience. So, you know, you, you, you be... Uh, yeah, 18. You, you be yeah. in any industry for that, that amount long. of time. You get to learn a lot of things. So it was a very good experience. And we're going to be so excited to share that with you come next week some people you know you guys think that he looks so young he looks so fresh but and he is and he is but you have to remember he is a true vet like he's he's hung out there with some of the best and we're gonna hear a lot about it next week so stay tuned for that by the way Camus Fada is in here yes because Uh, I made it halfway through the interview and changed the time stream as well yeah so so he was the one who changed the time stream I might be the constant since when did you enter this you're not the constant because you weren't here yesterday yeah when did you enter the speed force no did you did you did you ever read um, the Brubacher run of Captain America yeah I'm the constant fine (laughs) <laughs> anyway, uh, before we comic book nerd, before we get out of here, how about we give you our picks of the week? So I'm going to start off with my pick, which is from the number one contenders qualifying tournament that they held on Raw. Cesaro versus Kevin Owens. We've seen that these two guys can work, and I was just so glad that they had another chance to go out there, put on another great show. And the best part is, um, if you read the uh, the column from Joe the Grappler on Rappler this week, you'll know that this is enough reason for Cesaro to challenge Kevin Owens for the Intercontinental Championship again. Nice. So that's my pick of the week. Nice. Okay, um, my pick. Oh, wait, me first or yeah, yeah sure, you, you first. You can, you can first. go first. Uh, my pick of the week is the main event of that show, Fatal Four Way, uh, to determine the new number one contender. And it was a really great. It was a really great match. Huh? Yeah, uh, considering that all of these men were involved in at least ten minutes uh, earlier in the evening, so that that is some crazy cardio and some crazy conditioning. And to think that they were able to still pull out uh, a crazy match with these insane spots. My favorite was other than the pop up power bomb to Superman punch finish. Uh, my favorite spot was the. Was the part where Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns just ganged up on Alberto Del Rio in the corner? Uh, he came in. Uh, Owens came in for a corner cannonball, and Reigns came in for a basement drop kick on the outside. That was insane. Maganda rin yung ano eh, uh, the dynamic between the two heels, ADR and Kevin Owens, when they teamed up against uh, against Roman Reigns with Dolph Ziggler on the outside. Like, if those two guys became a tag team at some point, I would actually not mind seeing that. Mm-hmm. If there's a tag team competition like Rose has been talking about lately, mm-hmm. if that happens, that would be powerhouse team. Speaking of, uh, there, there, I think there are enough tag teams in the main roster to have at least a classic. Yeah, why not? Yeah, something like a stepladder tournament or no, round robin tournament yeah. would be fun. Like a Roddy Piper <laughs> tag team Actually, classic. WWE no. tag league. <laughs> No, a best of the super juniors. Uh, no, best tag team in the world type thing. Yeah, yeah, tag league. Yeah, yeah let, let's tag do league, it. Tag league, and we can name it in honor of Piper or someone. I don't know. Yeah, because if if Dusty gets a tag team tournament, maybe Piper gets I don't know intercontinental something. Yeah, that would have been nice. I would get behind that. Okay, uh, my pick of the week is Team Ready, Willing, and Gable versus Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. Freaking good match on NXT this week, which 
the near falls get you. The near mm-hmm. falls get you, but the in-ring action between the two teams is just—it's so good because of the technical wrestling and, well, for lack of a better term, the indie cred that the other team brings. And it's fun, innovative, and I match of the week, hands down. All right. Me. Uh, that brings us to the end of episode 85 of the SGP podcast. Again, stay tuned next week, episode 86. We're bringing back one of the boys from PWR. We'll let you know on social media which PWR star you're going to be looking out for. But rest assured, we got part two of our interview right. with TJ Perkins. Uh, TJ Perkins can be found online at Masqueromanic. Yes. So do follow him on Facebook. Also, check the hashtag. All, All we, we want, want is TJP. Instagram uh, at PinoyTJP. And yeah, um, before we end this, uh, once again, we're just so happy that we finally caught lightning in a bottle. Yes. We're out of here. All right. Yeah. Peace. Peace. Thank you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.